Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. How are you doing? I am so happy that you're here. I want to talk about something today, which I have been working on. And it's interesting because it was what's really been coming up for me this week. And then it just so happens that Tara Moore is here today. And we are going to be diving into this exact issue. Do you ever notice that in your life, sometimes it's like synchronicity, the thing that you most need to learn, the thing that you are most working on, you then have a conversation with someone or you pick up a book or someone refers you to something and you're like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So the thing that's been going on for me is learning how to speak up, learning how to say when something's not feeling right, learning how to basically raise the standard on what is working for me. Um, growing up in my house, I think that one of the survival skills that I had, one of the ways that I coped, one of the ways that I got through that was learning not to make waves, was hoping to make everybody comfortable, was wanting everything to be okay so that there wasn't a lot of fallout. Um, and what happened as a result of that is I became really stealth and really quite equipped at making sure that other people were held in mind. And so that's great. I I like that that's something that I do and that I care about because empathy, uh, it means a lot to me. And I think it's part of who I am anyway. I think that that's part of my default makeup. But it comes at a cost sometimes because in my life, if I've been uncomfortable, if someone said something I didn't like, if I've been in a situation where I knew I was giving more than my fair share, I would often keep giving or keep myself in a situation where I was feeling like something was not working for me because I didn't want to hurt somebody else. And so the other day, Stacey Swift posted on Instagram, she said, you are not required to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. And that really resonated with me. And it's so important for women, for men, for kids, for people across the world to learn how to say their truth without apologizing. It's so important. And I feel like this is such a rare thing. It's so unusual that I see people just say what's true for them without worrying what someone else is going to say. And think about how many people get to the end of their life and they realize and recognize that they didn't live their life on their terms. They lived according to what they what they thought other people expected of them, or they, they lived in a certain way so that they wouldn't make waves or they wouldn't rock the boat. I can totally relate to this. And as I get older, I notice when my throat starts to feel closed and my stomach starts to feel tight. And I say to myself, Catherine, what am I doing? Let me just say what's true. Like I'm not comfortable or this isn't working for me. And maybe it means that someone else is going to be upset. Or maybe it means I have to let somebody know that this isn't working for me anymore, or I don't want to go to lunch with a particular person or being friends with a, pers a particular person after a while just feels like it's more work than anything else. And all of that stuff is just called being a human being. Like there are seven and a half billion people on the planet. Not everybody's going to be your cup of tea. You're not going to be everybody else's cup of tea. And at the end of the day, we only have a certain amount of energy and we have to really make sure that we're in a, we're in alignment with who we are. And I think so often people are always wanting to have like a vacation from their life or they're wanting to like go away. I think it's because quite often we're not being ourselves. And so how much more energy would we have and how much more good could we put in the world if we stopped apologizing and if we stopped second guessing the things that just feel honest and true and we in a very loving, respectful way just let people know when things didn't work without shouting, without yelling, just, you know, 
letting them know in a conversation, I really appreciate everything, but this is not going to work for me. Or, you know, the other day I felt really uncomfortable about what, what just happened or what was said, or, you know, I don't think this arrangement is working anymore, you know, but having boundaries, taking care of yourself, we are not shown that this is viable. We are told that this makes you mean, that this makes you, you know, the B word. This isn't true. We teach people how to treat us. And when you raise your standards, the universe will meet you there. And if you are kind to yourself, people will be kinder to you. And if you're not, people will take advantage. And I've seen it in so many different ways in my life from people who worked for me in my business, from people who worked for me in nanny roles, from friends of mine, from people I worked for. Oh my God, I've had so many uncomfortable moments. And I wind up, you know, getting myself in these situations and I come back home and I say to my husband, how did this happen? Or why did this person take advantage of me? Or how am I in this situation? He's like, because you you opened the door to that. You showed them that that was something that's okay. And it's not okay. And so I'm learning as I get older how to just say what I need. And it's amazing how there's so many beautiful things that come from that. And a lot of times people get it and they understand. And sometimes people don't understand and they're uncomfortable and that's okay. And I sometimes don't sleep that well that evening, but the next day I recognize that I did the right thing for myself. I did the right thing for my kids. I did the right thing for you guys. Because in order for me to show up and have the energy to lead and to do and to create, I need to make sure that I'm not constantly putting myself through so much stress and putting myself in a position where I might, my stomach is in knots just so I can make sure everybody else is okay at the expense of me not being well. So I'm so glad that our guest today, Tara Moore, is here because I really want to dive into this. Okay, a few things before we dive in. Kathy Coaching is starting the first Wednesday of the next three months, beginning March 6th, and the last day to enroll for that is this coming Sunday, March 3rd. If you pre-order my book, you get 50% off these three group video coaching sessions, which is going to be so much fun. We're going to get a chance to talk about things that are really on your heart, and I will be there so we can take this conversation beyond the podcast, and I can see your face, and we can start to tease out the things that are exciting, the things that are feeling stuck, and I can help you move things further along. So I'm super excited. In the show notes, there's a link to Kathy Coaching, or you can go to kathycoaching.com, use the code book when you pre-order my book, and you can get 50% off, which is an incredible deal because then all three video coaching sessions, all three are like 67 bucks. So come on and join us. It's going to be really fun. Also, today is the last day to enter the airline ticket giveaway. We partnered with Spirit Airlines. They were so generous. They are giving four tickets, four flights away for those of you who want to fly in to come to LA to join us for this incredible two days of the Dreamtopia workshop. You can go to my Instagram at kathy.heller and there's a post from just the other day that says giveaway. There you'll find all the rules of how to enter this. It's super, super easy. I would love to see you guys there. We're going to be giving away four flights and the deadline to enter is tonight. So go ahead and make sure you do that. You can find the details at kathy.heller on Instagram. Kathy's with a C. And finally, tickets are almost completely sold out, but we have a couple handfuls left of tickets for the Dreamtopia Workshop. If you use the code LASTCALL, you can get a ticket for 50% off. Go to dreamtopiaworkshop.com, use the code LASTCALL, grab those last remaining seats. It's going to be two incredible days of such beautiful souls. I cannot wait to spend that time with you. There's so many goodies, so many fun things in store. I just am so, so excited. So now let's dive into today. Today, we have an amazing guest. Her name is Tara Moore. 
She's an expert on women's leadership and well-being. She's the author of a book called Playing Big, The Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create, and Lead. She's also the creator and teacher of the Playing Big Leadership Program for women all over the world and of the Playing Big Facilitators Training for coaches, therapists, managers, and mentors. Her work has been featured on the New York Times, the Today Show, Harvard Business Review, and so many more places. And it's no surprise because she has incredible insights to share. And just like I said earlier, I want to really dive into this conversation about how to stop playing small, how to recognize and follow your calling, what it means to take the leap, and tons of other good stuff. So I know you're going to love this. Without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Tara Moore. Tara, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this is so fun. So um, Tara recently wrote a book. It's called Playing Big. And I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of what you drill down deeper to. Uh, but why don't you tell us why you wrote this book? Like, how did you arrive at wanting this to be your message? Well, a few different things were crystallizing for me at the same time. I was in the working world after grad school in a prior career. I worked in philanthropy and I was looking around at my colleagues in this foundation and there were so many brilliant women that I worked with really hardworking, smart, gifted people. But I started to notice that a lot of them didn't feel so confident in sharing their voices, didn't feel like they were ready to really put their ideas forward. And right. at the same time, I was seeing they weren't at the biggest decision-making tables. And then I kind of looked around at my friends and saw no matter what industry they were in, the same thing. And then I was looking at myself going, ooh, I'm kind of in this place too. Why am I not feeling more confident in my voice? Why am I not really sharing my ideas? And also why am I not really doing the career I really wanted to? Because that was sort of a, mm -hmm. a compromise job for me. So that all led me on a journey to pursue coaching and start coaching people. And then of course I saw the very same pattern there. Um, and, and that became a really compelling focus for me. Why do we play small and what actually yeah. helps us play big? Yeah, that's really interesting how you noticed that, how you were observing that. When you were growing up, was that something you struggled with? I absolutely struggled with it. And I didn't understand why for a long time, because I had a supportive family and I also did well in school. And so I thought, well, if I did what I was supposed to do here and got the good grades and was a good student type, isn't all that supposed to add up to feeling confident in my voice and feeling confident to go for my dreams? Mm -hmm. But for me, that did not happen at all. And now I know all the research on this. We know, you know, from people like Carol Dweck's work that praise often doesn't help children feel confident. Praise makes them afraid of taking risks that will disprove the praise that they just got. Mm, yeah. And that also girls who are good students and high achievers have some of the biggest problems later in life with risk-taking and navigating past failure and speaking up when it's unpopular or controversial, because those are all the things that school trains us out of. Mm -hmm. So it makes more sense to me now. But yeah, I mean, I think we teach what we need to learn. And the questions that compel us are the ones that we're struggling with. And so that yeah. was absolutely true in my journey. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's so true. So one thing that really strikes me about 
the conversation that you've started and the work that you've been doing is I've spent most of my life trying to overcome being a pleaser. And I literally used to feel physical pain if I would think about saying something that was my truth that someone else might not like. Mm. I wound up literally sick to my stomach. Mm. I, I thought there must be something physically like an ulcer or something. It was really just stress. Wow. So I've really tried so hard to overcome that. And I think for a lot of people, one thing that I want to talk about, and I want to hear your perspective on all of these things, um, I think it's a survival skill. Yeah. I think sometimes growing up in our homes or the way that we were raised, we learned that if we could just stay out of the way and sort of pipe down and not make too much noise mm -hmm. and not rock the boat, uh, it's going to be a lot better for us than if we um, you know, say what we need to right. say. And that's really sad. And it makes me feel really upset. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to overcome that in my own life and other people who are around me. What can you tell us about that and how can we overcome that? Yeah, I think in our early lives, first of all, it's important to for people to think about all the different ways that that disapproval of difference can get expressed. Because for some of us, it was really obvious in our family homes, but for some of us, it might have just been a subtle withdrawal of warmth or... Um, feeling left out of the mm. family, right? Because of the dynamic that happened. And for me, I think I've also uncovered another layer where I really see for women in particular, and I think this is relevant to the, the women listening or, you know, men who love them and have women in your life, that for women historically, how did we survive for most of our history? We didn't have financial power. We didn't have political mm -hmm. power. We weren't protected mm -hmm. by the law. We didn't have the physical might to usually overcome, you know, whoever we might need to. So our primary available strategy for survival and safety was relationship, um, influence in relationship, likability, adapting to do what was approved of or tolerated. Totally. Right? That's really... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really so true. when I hear, you know, that in your stomach, it's like the pit in your stomach and that feeling of life or death situation. Yes, that could be rooted in your life experience. That could also be rooted in just what you carry in you that from the past few thousand years of how women have adapted to survive. And I do think a lot of women actually get a fight or flight life or death situation feeling in their bodies when they are doing something that um, challenges the status quo. So that's sort of the the what and the why of how challenging it is. Mm. One of the ideas that I love to invite people to try on is that the feedback you get from the world never tells you anything about yourself. It only tells you about the people giving the feedback. Usually people raise an eyebrow at this first, like what feedback never tells me anything about myself. That sounds like the most arrogant, unaware, unself-aware thing, but really we can take it first with creative work. Like, okay, so a producer doesn't like your song. Does that tell us really about your song or does that tell us about that producer's taste and priorities? Okay, what mm -hmm. if, you know, 20 producers don't like your song? Does that tell us about your song? Or does that tell us something about like the industry norms and expectations, what's popular right now? That doesn't mean we dismiss it. You know, if you know, well, I really want this type of producer <laughs> to buy my songs or, you know, work with me, then maybe you're going to adapt based on the feedback. 
but it's so different to adapt from that place of, oh, I have information about this party. I do want to work with them. I'm going to be savvy about doing that adaptation versus I don't measure up. This was a referendum on my talent and my work. And now I'm stuck in a really demoralizing, emotional downward spiral because of the feedback. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of, like you said, it's, um, it's a little bit tricky because I do believe that we have to sort of bring in this radical empathy in order to solve problems for other people in order to make work that, um, somebody else wants to spend money on. Yeah. I kind of think of it as if there's a spectrum between pure art at one end of the spectrum and pure business at Mm -hmm. the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in pure art, I'm just expressing what I want to express. I don't care if it ever finds an audience or not. Right. And pure business, I am like completely pandering to, whatever's going to produce maybe the most short-term revenue and I'm taking no leadership and having no vision about what I'm creating. I think what most Mm -hmm. of us want to do and what I wanted to do in my work is something in between. And so I'll, I'll just give it one example from my work. You know, I am really passionate about women stepping into leadership. However, Mm -hmm. I learned that if I use the words women in leadership or women's leadership (laughs) in anything I am marketing, I will repel all of the people I want to serve. They don't like that term. Why? They don't like that term. Most women are like, well, I'm not really the leader type or I like to contribute, but not exactly in that hierarchical way. Or they just plays over with the term. So, Mm -hmm. you know, playing big is a term that it turns out calls to a lot of people, speaks to a lot of people. From a creative standpoint, I feel very comfortable with it and what it expresses, but it is absolutely a way that I've learned to translate what I am wanting to talk about in a way that is resonant for my audience. So I think it's Mm -hmm. a dance. It's a dance of I'm being responsive to my audience because I absolutely want to reach and serve a particular group. But I'm also staying in touch with what do I want to communicate and and the effective ways to communicate it. I think there's Mm -hmm. also a huge difference between I'm needing everyone to like what I'm doing and I'm getting upset by any negative comment or any, you know, cancellation, right? That's where we're like really in the good girl place. We're feeling wounded by people's reactions. We're hooked on what they're doing, deciding who your audience is and being in touch with what they're going through and what actually works for them is there's no way you can say you care of being of service if you're not doing that. You know, you don't like when I, you know, talk to people who are like, no, didn't get around to surveying my customers. That's like, well, then you're, you're not actually committed to executing on your mission if you're not doing Mm -hmm. that empathy and evaluation of your work. Yep. So let's talk about it a little bit more. In the book, in chapter one, you talk about the inner critic. Yes. Why did you start with this? How do we understand it? And how do we sort of overcome it? So I started with it because I learned in the first couple of years of coaching people around there playing big and um, teaching about it, that if you don't start with the inner critic, you cannot learn about or apply any other topics because the inner critic will basically eat you alive while you're trying to learn about them. Right. So sometimes it's really obvious, like 
who do you think you are? Um, you know, you're horrible at that. This is going to be a disaster. They're going to laugh at you, those kinds of things. Sometimes it's more subtle. A really common subtle one is, oh, you're not ready yet for that. You know, just mm. be in tune with your your internal knowing that you're not ready yet for that. Let's Let's wait a little more first. Let's polish it. Let's perfect it. Let's get more training. Let's get more experience. So I think of the inner critic as a voice in our heads. And that's a first really important piece because most people are so identified with the inner critic voice and so used to it. They think it's the way their brain sounds or they think it's the voice Mm -hmm. of truth. And so the first step is to say, this is a voice. It's not the whole of you. It's not the core of you. And we're going to become an observer of that voice. We're going to start to notice when is it speaking up and label it and name it for that when it does. Oh, I'm hearing my inner critic now. And from there, we have a little more space to say, do I want to listen to that part of myself or what other parts of myself might I listen to? So I'm always waving the flag of thank you of we don't need to become confident do not wait on confidence confidence is not necessary to go for anything in your life Uh, I love that but we do need a new relationship with our self-doubt yeah and I love how you said that sometimes when you're listening you think this is just you know what their your inner voice sounds like or the second thing you said I loved or you think it's true, you yeah. know, cause you, just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. So moving along, the next thing you talk about is the opposite, yes. which is your voice of inner wisdom and inner knowing. Yeah. How do we, how do we find it? Because I, I do know that it is always within reach, yeah. but sometimes it's buried. So there's a, a kind of shortcut that I talk about in the book for accessing that voice of inner wisdom. And I call that the inner mentor. And the idea is... You go through a little visualization, really relax your body, get out of your everyday thinking and meet your older, wiser self. So yourself way out into the future. And when people do that in this kind of special state of mind, they meet this figure that is really like this combination of their authentic self, their more soulful self and their kind of inner wise one and get a really vivid picture of that self. And then you can really start to say, okay, what would he do in this situation? What would she do? How would she advise me here? And I just, you know, now having done this with thousands of people, I think that's the best way to play big. It's, you know, to me, my definition of playing big is playing big is being more loyal to your dreams than to your fears. And Mm -hmm. It's not about working harder. It's not about striving more. It's not about doing something that looks big in the world's eyes. It's being more loyal to your dreams, your unique individual path. So this older, wiser version of ourselves can really mentor and guide us like no external person can. Um, And so it it pulls us into that, what our true playing big is. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I love it. I want to get to something In the back of your book, you say, what's really holding you back from meeting your potential? Why aren't you pursuing your dreams? Why are you sitting on your big ideas when they could lead to incredible change? What do you think is really holding us back from meeting our potential? Mm, Fear. You know, I think that we are hardwired for seeking emotional safety avoiding rejection, avoiding criticism, avoiding the discomfort of the unknown and of uncertainty, all those things that we associate with emotional safety. 
And I, I kind of think mm-hmm. of it as like we have multiple departments inside of ourselves. Like if you picture a big organization and there's a few different departments and sometimes we all know in an organization, they work in a very uncoordinated way and they work at cross purposes. And so that that safety instinct part of us can run the show. And the problem is it is not accountable at all to the part of us that wants a life of joy and fulfillment and growth mm. and self-expression. Wow. And, and there's sort of no CEO in charge unless we get the tools mm-hmm. and the training, right, to be yep. at choice about who's in charge. So, you know, and that's kind of the fear and our dreams and there's their intention with each other. And I see them as two really different parts of ourselves. One, that kind of higher self that's saying, there's so much I want to express and experience in this life. And the other part that's saying, "Mm, I would, I like to just choose, you know, the numbed out coziness of eating too many lentil chips on the couch and binge watching something. Yeah, yeah. Right. And at those, least they're lentil chips. They're lentil chips in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and those parts are in tension with each other. And so we have to be, we have to get to know each part and have language for it and be at choice and keep working yeah. at it every day. What part is in charge? Yeah. And it's like that quote, you know, that everybody, you know, always repeats, which is that, ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships were built for. And you talk so much about, you know, how to speak in a way that's powerful. How do we do that? Well, many of us have adopted these habits, not only in our spoken words, but also in what we write, in our emails, you know, in all the written communications we do that diminish what we have to say. And some very Mm -hmm. common ones are, I just think this, I just want to tell you, or I actually have a question or da, 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 da. Did that make sense? Uh, I'm not an expert, but you know, there's about a dozen of them that I go through in the book and there are ways that we shrink in order to be less threatening, to take up less space for women. It's often, how do I say something while still remaining people pleasing And we can start to eliminate them from our speech. And it's been so neat over the years to hear women say, okay, I took them all out of my emails and oh my gosh, like I'm getting responses from people I could not get a hold of before. And people are responding in a different way. Now, a whole other piece is that a lot of women say, wait, 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 Tara, like I, I used to not say any of those things. And I was constantly getting the feedback that I'm too abrasive or I'm too direct. And so I learned I have to do that. And so I also work with women around how can you continue to communicate warmth and work within the culture and the stereotypes that we sort of unfortunately have to navigate, but not do that in a way that diminishes you. And I do think there are positive ways to communicate that warmth through body language and facial expressions and the way you communicate interest in other people that don't diminish you. So an example is instead of saying after you're done, did that make sense? Because did that make sense means I'm not sure if I'm crazy or not. And I think I was kind of <laughs> rambling. And you know, you tell me if I'm a logical person or not, right? You can instead just as easily say, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Or does anyone have any questions about that? I'm welcoming questions now or whatever's appropriate in the context, but it's still a way of reaching out, showing you care that the other person understood and you're inviting clarification of any misunderstandings, but not by 
denigrating yourself. Yep. One of the chapters in the book is about callings. Mm -hmm. And it's really juicy because, uh, first of all, you sort of lay out ways for people to understand, you know, like, is this something that you should recognize as a calling? Yeah. You know, are you feeling frustration or pain around something? Is there something, is there a message or something that you want to communicate? Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit. But then you also talk about the objections that we we sort of present ourselves <laughs> yeah. when we have a sense of a calling, you know, like, is it is it selfish of yeah. me? Um, am I actually an expert at this? So let's talk about that, um, how we can recognize when something maybe is worthwhile to pursue, something is really yearning inside of us, a calling, and then what might we be able to anticipate some objections okay. that come up and how can we move through yeah, that? Let's talk yeah. about it a little bit. So my definition of a calling is it's the assignment that an individual receives to bring light or love into the world in a particular way. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Any form of beauty. Love it. So you have this sense of assignment. It's often not what you would have chosen from an ego perspective. Like it can feel challenging or inconvenient, but you feel somehow mysteriously assigned to it. And it's about bringing light and love into the world in a particular way. And so in that sense, every human being on planet Earth has the same calling, which is that to bring light and love into the world in some particular way. And you can do that through your amazing muffins, you know, and I also believe we get lots of callings over a lifetime. And sometimes we have many going on at once and they begin and end. And so we're not trying to ask, what's my calling? We're asking, what's calling me right now? Oh, you're the first person to say that on the show. And it really crystallizes it for me because people write to me and they say, how am I supposed to choose a path? Am I supposed to be doing photography or am I supposed to right. be helping kids read right. or am I supposed to be doing travel writing? And what you just said is it's right now, because if it's meant to be, you might find another time, another chapter, another season where other parts of you, other talents are sort of brought to life. But this right now, yeah. just that subtle yeah. switch it's really, it's And important. they're living organisms, you know, so callings are born, they have lifespans, and then they fade out. And that's wonderful. That's what makes them alive, right? So they're temporal. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're looking for what's calling me right now. I also feel like it's not that important which one you choose. Like, if there are three that feel really strong, it's so much more important that you live a calling <laughs> than if you choose what, you know, come do something that feels like choosing the right one. It's living a calling that is brings all the joy and vitality, yeah. right? So it's kind of like, yeah. who cares if there are three good ones? Perfect. Pick one today just to pick one. So yeah. sometimes it's the pain and frustration with the status quo. Sometimes it's an idea or vision. That idea or vision doesn't need to be super clear and fully formed. It could just be kind of directional direction you want to go. And right. then there's that sense of assignment. And then the other thing I talk about is almost universally, when we get a calling, we have two thoughts about it. One is, I don't have what I would need to have to do this calling, which could be money, education, staff, you know, I don't have something I would need to have. And that couldn't be for me. I'm not the person I would need to be to pull that off. Like I don't have the courage, the this, the that. And so I'm here to say like, oops, that's not your out because that just confirms for you if you're having those thoughts that that thing is a calling for you and it stretches us. And so it's true that we're not everything we need to be at the outset, but I really believe, and I've seen again and again, that pursuing the calling grows you into that person. And so you start when you know you're not who you need to be, but you get there. Yep. 
you do get there. And I love that you said this is really universal because it really is. I think everybody is struggling with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, you wrote in there, you know, what if I'm not an expert? I, no, it doesn't yes. matter, actually. Um, I love this idea that your work in progress version is enough right now. And all over the book, you talk about people who sort of went for creative pursuits in chapter seven. You talk about, um, I don't know if this is a real person, probably is uh, based on a real person, but you talk about how Susan longed to leave her job in corporate finance and open mm -hmm. a gourmet food business. And she took this leap and her leap was to host a one day gourmet food market in her backyard, which by the way, I think is an excellent, awesome idea. I love it. Um, and it gave her you know, motivation and it gave her right away a sense of what was working um, and she felt this increase in her energy level. And so I just also wanted to throw that in because I think that's a great example uh, where you talk about just kind of like, go for it, take the leap, dive yes. in, try something. Anything you want to tell us about that? Right. So often when people use the term leaping and leaping around career change or creative pursuits, they mean the big leap, like leaving your job and, you know, whatever. Right. Leaping in the playing big model has this very specific meaning where a leap is, first of all, it's an action you can take and complete within less than two weeks. It's something simple enough that you can describe it in a few short words, like you don't need a whole paragraph to explain what you're going to do. You are furthering whatever playing big means to you by taking this action. And then the most important and the hardest for people to wrap their mind around usually is that it has to be something that puts you and your work in contact with your intended audience. Mm, I love that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because people go, I'm going to leap. I signed up for a certification program. I, I'm, I took the leap. I'm writing my business plan. I took the leap. I'm writing the mission statement for my nonprofit. It's like, no, 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 no. Those are way too safe. Oh, I like it. You're calling them out. I like yeah. it. It is playing it safe. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Leap is something that puts you and your work in contact with your intended audience. So writing your mission statement and running it by five potential board members to learn what they think would make it a leap, right? Or writing a pitch email and sending it to five editors and seeing what happens could make it a leap. The other thing that's really key with a leap is you start by saying, what do I want to learn from this leap? And it could be, I want to learn, you know, if I like this new career direction as much as I think I'm going to, or it could be, I want to learn if my customers want what I think they want. Yeah. And then you're designing the leap to get that information. Mm -hmm. So that protects you. Let's say all five editors ignore your email, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you started by saying, I want to know if what I'm writing is resonating with them. You're like, oh, I had a really successful leap because I answered that question. The answer seems like oh, it's no. Oh, God, I love this. <laughs> right? <laughs> now I'm going to tweak it. And I think you've been really good at taking those risks. And, you know, I've heard you talk about your, like, you're very comfortable with the portfolio approach to pitching podcast guests, right? And oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I imagine in there, there's some <laughs> learning from what lands, what doesn't, and then you revise from there. So, oh my it, God, 90% of what I've done my whole life doesn't work. And it's the 10%, <laughs> no. you know, that you see, but right, so right, much of it is just right. like, I don't even remember anymore. Like I'll, someone will say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, the first few times you reached out, I'm like, wow, I don't even wow. remember because right. I'm so used to just kind of like putting mm. things out there, trying things and moving on. And I'll be like, oh, well, good. I'm glad it all worked out now. So I just wanted to 
to highlight this because it's at the end of the book. And because, again, you use two creatives as examples, I thought our audience would just love this. Mm. Um, in, in chapter 10, you talk about letting it be easy. And you talk about two different women. And this one woman, Madeline, who had a dream of making beautiful ceramics and wanted to start selling her work. And this other woman, Caitlin, who made unusual jewelry that her friends and family loved. But you talk about how one of them uh, had a little bit more ease and momentum and the other one didn't. Yeah. Can we kind of talk about why that is and what we can learn from yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And and if it's okay with you, I'll jump to myself as kind of my original example sure. for this. Because of course, yeah, for me, course. What, what kind of led me to take this whole approach with motivation in general is ooh, about 15 years ago now, I gave up sugar and wheat mm. and didn't eat sugar and wheat for, you know, 10 years. And people would often say to me, I, I never could have that kind of willpower. And I just felt like it was so important for them to not feel less than about that or carry that narrative. And so I would always really look at people and say, let me explain to you, it has nothing to do with willpower because that was really true for me. Like, wow. it's not about willpower. It's about putting all the right supports in my life to mm-hmm. live without going to that substance for physical or emotional coping with anything and finding a way for that to be easy. Tell us a couple of those things that we can sort of leave this episode thinking about how to maybe set that up in our own life. Yeah. So there's a range of them. One is having some source of accountability. So do you have a supportive person who you can check in with about, yes, I am continuing to do this or oops, I slipped this week and I need to course correct. That can be a really important one. Another one is what I call strengths-based planning. So starting by thinking about what are all the strengths and resources I have in my life that can help me do this thing and let me build my plan around that. So like, who are the people that can help me? What resources do I have from time to um, a particular kind of knowledge I have anything that could support you and build your plan around that. And then on the more spiritual side, I also think a very powerful thing is deciding what larger force, something larger than me, do I feel like I'm in partnership with, with this project? So maybe it's the force of creativity or, you know, uh, the force of art with a capital A or joy, because I'm going to be doing something that brings me joy and really seeing yourself not alone in trying to do the thing, but holding hands with that larger force, mm-hmm. um, that can be a very powerful way to recenter, get energy when you need it, move through the challenges. Um, so those are a few of the ways we can we can let it be easy. Yeah, I love that. I love it so much. Um, as we're sort of summing up, anything you want to say to the person listening who's going to feel like really inspired right now, but a little overwhelmed and might not feel like they're enough, but is going to try to muddle through? Anything last, <laughs> last thing you want to say? Yeah, that you you absolutely are enough. And the question of whether you are enough or not is just the wrong question. Like you never have to answer that. It's not that it's a problem to answer it with no. You don't need to answer it with yes. The question is what's calling me? What would bring me joy? What contribution do I want to make? And if you just keep returning to that question, it doesn't really matter whether you think you're good enough along the way or not. I love that. Tell us where we can find you. Oh, great. Yeah. So you can find me at taramore.com and it's T-A-R-A-M-O-H-R. And then the book is Playing Big and it is available wherever you like to buy books. Awesome. 
Well, we're going to go check it out. I already have mine. Go get yours. <laughs> thank you so much, Tara. Thank you for oh, being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how eye-opening was that? I love this conversation. It is so important for all of us to stop apologizing. And it's okay to say when you don't like something. It's okay to say when something isn't working for you. I want you to continue to feel empowered and know that you do not have to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. So go ahead and grab her book. There's so many juicy pieces of wisdom in there. And again, her website is taramore.com if you want to find out more about all her leadership programs and all the other incredible work she's doing. Okay, now let's talk about your wins. Kember posted in her Facebook group and she said, last March, I remember listening to an episode of Kathy's podcast and really relating to it. I was so tired of building someone else's dream. I felt like a slave to that. That week, I figured out my finances. I sold my car to afford my goals. And a month later, I quit my job and started school. Today, I had my first interview to rent a room to start my own massage practice. Thank you for helping me find my calling. Kember, that's amazing. I'm so excited for you. I can't believe how much action you took just from listening to the podcast and look at how far you've come. That is so inspiring. This is just the beginning. So please keep us posted on that massage practice because we can't wait to see how much you're going to grow this year. Okay, next win is from Jamie. Jamie posted this in our Facebook group. She said, about a week ago, I put out the word that I wanted more work so I could attend the Dreamtopia workshop. A couple gigs materialized and boom. Then I realized I would need extra money for rides since I don't trust myself driving in LA on the freeway yet. So I pitched two articles to a blogger who expressed interest a while back, $200 for the two of them. Such gratitude. I was nervous to buy my plane ticket. What if there wasn't more money? But being in the midst of a rush of job applications and interviews, I decided to trust the universe that something was coming soon and I clicked purchase. I interviewed for an executive virtual assistant position. It was a reach from interview to pitching my marketing know-how to writing the proposal and contract, which I did because she chose me. My husband asked if we could go get pizza when I got the job. I laughed and said, sure. A friend I respect immensely heard me in my pitching and asked me about my VA work. I went all in with a proposal and was rewarded with a resounding yes and monthly work with tons of room to grow starting today. I'm so proud and so blessed. I'm confident my dreams are possible. I'm working for incredible people I respect, including myself. So, so thankful. Have faith and invest in yourself. You've got this. I've got tons of work to do this weekend and I'm so happy about it. Jamie, you're such a superstar. It takes so much courage to trust that those opportunities will come, but you did it. You did it anyway and you put yourself out there and you put in the work and look how many incredible doors have opened for you. You so, so deserve this. I can't wait to see you guys and all these other beautiful souls at the Dreamtopia workshop. It's just a couple weeks away. Okay, now I want to give a shout out to a couple of our awesome listening groups. Amanda posted a photo of her and Jessica in our Facebook group and said, St. Louis meetup group was small today, but mighty. We talked about pain points, ultimate goals, and next steps. Oh, and there were mimosas too. What a fantastic morning. How cool is this? I love it. You guys, and you don't need to have a room full of people in order to have a great listening group. Just having one other person to be supportive, to talk these things through with, these hurdles, these ideas can make all the difference. Also, Debbie in San Francisco emailed us and said, the Bay Area group is still going strong. We had our meeting on Monday and we shared how people are doing it messy. She mentioned how they're making incredible progress, like Carissa launched a challenge. Claire has been commissioned to illustrate a book. Gina is going to open an interior design studio and Debbie had a case of imposter syndrome, but then remembered that there is room for everyone. She also said, we help members who are feeling overwhelmed break their goals down into smaller steps. We also discussed how when you have a creative job, you still need to block out time for your personal work so they can feed off of each other. So, so true. Debbie, thank you for sharing all of this. And if any of you out there want to join one of our listening groups, there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get information about a local group near you, or you can join a virtual group and meet listeners from all around the world. So 
If you guys have a win or something that you're struggling with or something you want to share, please come on over and find us at the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group. Or you can personally DM me on Instagram at kathy.heller because I read every single one of those messages and I love connecting and hearing from you. Make sure that you've already subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you can get new episodes as they come out Mondays and Thursdays. And please, please take a second and share the show with someone who might need this. If it's this episode or another episode, you have no idea what a difference this might start to make in their life. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. I just want to remind you that if you want to be entered into this giveaway for the four flights we're giving away, come follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller and you can find the details in my post that says giveaway. Also, the last day to sign up for Kathy Coaching is this coming Sunday. And if you use the code book, you can get 50% off those three video chats that we're going to have starting this coming Wednesday, March 6th. If you want to come to the Dreamtopia workshop, there are just a few seats left. You can use the code last call when you go to dreamtopiaworkshop.com. This event will sell out. We are almost there. So go ahead and get your tickets. I cannot wait to spend those two days with you. I'll leave you with another song of mine and I'll talk to you guys on Monday.
charged like a soldier.